Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. In fact, if you're new, I just want to let you know, my name is Doug, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we're delighted that you were here. Last week, we wrapped up a series called Prayer Unleashed, and I just want to remind you of that because we do have a prayer request board over here. We're going to keep that up through the end of the year. If you've got prayer requests, please put them on there, and as God answers those prayers, let's move them to the answered prayer board over there. And then also, I want to remind you, a couple of weeks ago, we were able to grab a card, and maybe you grab a card of somebody in our church and, and say, hey, I'm praying for this family, like for me, I'm praying for the Ward family. Please continue to pray for them. It's not just for the series. Let's, for the rest of the year, let's commit to pray for them. And so we wrapped that up last week. Now today, we're going to begin a whole new series called Christmas Rerun. Now, let me just a quick question. How many of you enjoy watching reruns on television? Anybody? Okay, uh, this might be a, a good a question gone bad. Tell me some of the reruns you enjoy watching. Elf, Elf okay, that was good. That's start good. Okay, what else? What else? Night Rider. Rider, okay. Any other ones? Any other ones out there? The Office, The White Christmas, right? I mean, the thing about reruns, like, uh, like I remember uh, when, when the boys were little, I thought I would go by uh, the first season of Happy Days. I thought that would be great. And we put the first episode in, and it wasn't great. Fonzie was teaching Richie something totally inappropriate. And so uh, the thing about reruns is we watch them and enjoy them, but we go back and sometimes we watch them and go, okay, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being, right? Or you go back and go, man, this is a lot better than I thought it was, or you go back and you're like, maybe I missed some things along the way, right? And so we watch reruns, but why do we watch reruns? Because at the very core of a rerun, it's familiarity, right? The more you watch it, the more familiar you are. Like, for example, I have watched, and this is no joke, not, not an exaggeration, I'm not pastorally speaking either, I probably have watched the movie Remember the Titans at least a hundred times, to the point where I could quote almost any line in the movie, because I just loved it, and there, there's a familiarity with that. But there was, a, there was a cliche that was come out in the 1300s by a guy, last name ending Klauser, and he said this, that familiarity breeds contempt. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means you can become so familiar with something or someone that you lose the respect, reverence, and awe of that someone or something. And here's where I bring it up. I think in Christianity... Maybe for many of us, the Christmas story has become that. In fact, if many people only come to church during Christmas and Easter, and so they know the story, right? I mean, they've heard the story. They've heard every nuance of the story. They know it backwards and forwards. I mean, every year in December, is it not the same rerun? We read the same passage in Luke and Matthew. Maybe we jump, maybe we get creative and we jump back to the Old Testament, like Isaiah. But it's the same story, right? It's a rerun of the story. And I wonder, is it possible that we've heard the Christmas story so much that we've lost our sense of awe? and wonder, and reverence for the greatest miracle in all humanity. So my prayer over the next three weeks is that we would gain that all back. That over the next three weeks that we would look at the same story you've looked at for years, for many of us, decades, that we've looked at over and over and over again, but that we might find the awe, the reverence, and the wonder of the Christmas story. And let me tell you, we're not going to do it by looking for some unique angle. Like, we're not going to explore what the donkey must have thought as he's carrying a, pr a pregnant lady all the way to Bethlehem, which we don't even know was a donkey. We're not going to talk about that. What we're going to do over the next three years is not about information. It's about inspiration. 
And as we go through the Christmas story, what I want us all to do, including this guy, I want us to back up and go, what does the Christmas story tell me about the nature of God? What does the Christmas story tell me about the expanse of God's love for humanity? And what does the Christmas story tell me about my need for a Savior? And my prayer, I've been praying this for about a month now. I pray with everything in me that we could get the wonder and the awe of Christmas. Because let's be honest, when we go through the world and, you know, Black Friday happened and you seem to survive Black Friday and then Cyber Mondays happen and you seem to be surviving that. But at the end of the day, can we agree that the world we live in makes Christmas about everything but the most important thing? And unfortunately, as believers, many of us have done the same thing. And I'm concerned that for many of us on December the 25th, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus in passing. It's going to be an overtone of the day, but not the most important part of the day. And so I want to bring that wonder and all back. So we're going to look at the Christmas story, and hopefully as we read the story, we will once again find the awe and the wonder of the birth of Christ. So if you, will, if you stand with me, let's read. We're going to be in Luke's gospel this morning, Luke chapter 1. It's a little bit lengthy, so if you have to sit down, that's fine. But I want to read starting in verse 26. This is what the word of the Lord says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will receive in a womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, but how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore, and therefore the child will be born and he will be called Holy and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and in this sixth month will her will be called, she will be called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, listen to this, behold, what? Say it with me, I am a servant of the Lord. And let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you that we have the chance to jump into the narrative of the Christmas story, God. But I pray with everything in me that as we go through this, that we would stray from it being informative, but it might become inspirational to us. God, this is the greatest birth announcement in the history of humanity. It deserves our wonder. It deserves our awe. It deserves our reverence. God, if there had been no birth of your son, there could never have been a cross or resurrection, which means there never would have been salvation. So God, would you inspire us this morning? May we catch a glimpse of your nature this morning. May we catch a glimpse of how much you love us. God, may we catch a glimpse of our need for a Savior. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at the story, there are a few things that I want to highlight, and then I want to go back to the passage. The first thing I want us to see is this, that when you look at the story, the very first thing we need to notice is that God speaks. Look at me in verse 26 again. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So God sent Gabriel to speak to Mary. 
Now, the reason I want to point this out that God speaks here is because I want you to think about it for a moment. And you may not know this, but it's important to know this. It's, it's one of those things that, that's important to the Christian faith. That God speaks to Mary is a really big deal. Here's why. Because Amos, in the Old Testament, a prophet named Amos made a prophecy. The prophecy was this, that there's going to be a famine coming, and a famine not of food, not of water, but of my spirit, says the Lord. And from the time Malachi ends till we have the New Testament is a 400-year period, and God said nothing in 400 years. 400 years, God stayed silent. Now think about that. 400 years. So if you're Mary, your parents never heard the voice of God. Your grandparents didn't. Your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, your great-great-great-great-grandparents. I mean, you've got generations that have not, now they knew the stories, but you've got generations that have never heard God intervene and step into history with his prophets or his own voice. 400 years. Now question. If you're the Jewish people of the day, do you think maybe God has abandoned you? Do you think maybe God has walked away from you? Because you know your story. You know your history. You know that your nation that now has went from Israel to now the Jewish nation, they are one, in case you didn't know that, they are one. You know the story of your ancestors. You know how they would live for God, love God, rebel against God, and then God would discipline them, and then God would restore them, but then it would continue to rebel. You know your story. So the possible after 400 years, you're thinking, God is done with us. But then God speaks. And he doesn't just speak once. He speaks twice in the course of six months. He speaks first to Zechariah about he's going to have a son who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And now he speaks to Mary. And he's about to give Mary some news. Now listen to this. When God speaks, what is his words? See, it's not words of judgment it's not words of wrath. It's not words of condemnation. When God finally speaks after 400 years, it's words of rescue, right? I mean, in a minute, we're going to see this great announcement, and we know the story. We know that eventually the angels appear to the shepherds, and they say, we bring you good news of great joy that's for all people, right? We know what's coming. We know what's coming down the pike, but think about it. The first words that God speaks to humanity after 400 years, the second time he speaks to Mary, and he gives her words of rescue. Listen, I know where you've been, but I've got something working. See, oftentimes when God doesn't speak, we feel like God is inactive. Maybe some of you don't know. I, we all know. How does God speak to us primarily? Come on. How does God speak to us primarily? Through his word, right? This is the very breath of God. This is not a good roadmap. This is the sole authority for how you and I live our lives. This is God's word to humanity for all time. It is perfect. It is complete. It is without error. It's without flaw. I hope you believe that. Say amen. amen. This is his word for us. Now, we know God speaks that way, but can we be honest for a minute and go, even there's times when I'm reading God's word, I'm in God's word, I don't feel God speaking to me. I don't feel like God's giving me clarity. And maybe you've gone through long droughts in your life where you've been reading the word, you've been praying, but you haven't felt God. You haven't sensed God. You've not got clarity from God. And maybe we felt like maybe Mary could have felt. God's done with me. But I want you to hear me say something this morning. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not working. 
Did you hear that? Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not working. Because in 400 years, even though God may have not spoken through a prophet, and that 400-year period, God was orchestrating. God was preparing. That way, Paul was able to tell us that at just the right moment, Christ entered into the world. God was orchestrating all the pieces of the puzzle, getting everything the way he wanted, so at the right moment, Jesus could come. So if God is being silent in your life, listen, he's up to something. He's up to something. He's not written you off. He's not done with you. He hasn't marginalized you. He's up to something. So the thing that we look at the story is what blows me away is after 400 years, God, now it's time for me to speak. And he does. And he speaks words of rescue. And I want you to know this morning, I believe God still speaks. I believe he still speaks. Yes, through his word. But I believe he still speaks to us. So first I want you to notice is that God speaks. The second thing I want you to notice is and probably what we're most familiar with is how God interrupts. Look at me in verse 26 again. It says this. In the sixth month, uh, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to know, second of all, yes, God speaks, which is incredible. Listen, we could spend a whole message on that, the, the power of God's voice. But secondly, I want you to know, it's that God interrupts. And whose life did he interrupt? Well, we find out he interrupted the life of Mary, who was a virgin. Now, that phrase just basically means someone who is single and they're pure. They've had no sexual relationship at all. They are virgins. They are pure. They were single. And that's who he addresses, is Mary. Now, just a quick question. Would that have been uncommon in that world back then for them to be virgins at the age that Mary was at? No. I mean, you think about it. She was 12 or 13 years old. That would have been a common that most 12 or 13-year-old girls would have fit that same category. But here's Mary, high moral character, who's followed the way that she was told to follow, and she is a virgin. She's, been with, she's not been with a man. She's pure. She's single. And he calls her, he, says, he interrupts the life of a virgin, and he says that she was betrothed. That word betrothed just means she was engaged. Now, not American engagements, all right? So don't think of it that way. But betrothal in this period was actually a legally binding contract. Moms and dads would prearrange the marriages, which I kind of think we ought to go back to that, but moms and dads would prearrange, I'm just kidding, the marriages, and it was legally binding. The only way you could get out of a betrothal was death or by divorce. That was it. And it was common that girls 12 to 13 years old who had been pure, who had been virgins, that then they would be betrothed. They would have at least a year waiting period of betrothal. And then they would all come back together and they would have a wedding feast. And at that wedding feast, while the, the wedding period was going on, the husband was off building a place for them to live. Now, I failed at this because I can't build anything. So they would go off and they would build a place for them to live. And then at the end, they would come back together. There would be a seven days of a wedding feast. Can you imagine being the parents of the bride paying for that bad boy? Seven days of a wedding feast. They would get married and then they were off to the honeymoon to consummate the marriage and begin their life together. That's how betrothal worked. Now, let me give you a quick sidebar because I love this stuff. That's a beautiful imagery of John chapter 14. You know when Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am you may be also? That's marriage terminology. That's Jesus who is our groom and we belong to him. That's him saying, I'm going to, while you're waiting to come to meet me, I'm building a place for you. Isn't that kind of cool that Jesus uses marriage terminology for us? And so this whole idea of betrothal basically meant this. Mary was spoken for. 
She had a plan, a dream, a desire, a future that was predetermined for her. She was spoken for. In other words, she was living the same rerun of every other Jewish girl that was 12 and 13 years old. The same story of every other Jewish girl who was single and pure, their parents would betroth them. She was running the same story. So she was living in a story of familiarity. She, I mean, this was what every other Jewish girl went through. And yet it's her that God interrupts her story. And he interrupts her story with this. He says, the angel Gabriel said, greetings, O favored one. Now, just real quick, this is important for us. He called Mary a favored one. Now, let me just let me say this to you. Mary was living in Nazareth. And in the New Testament, there's one of the guys that comes along and tells, uh, tells uh, Thomas, there's nothing good that came from Nazareth, right? And we know Jesus was from Nazareth. And so Mary's living in Nazareth. And you would not typically hear high-quality speech towards someone in Nazareth. Why? Because Nazareth was an obscure place. There was nothing special about Nazareth. It was a marginalized city. It was about 75 to 100 miles north of Jerusalem. In fact, the trade routes, when it would get close to Nazareth, would go around Nazareth because there was nothing good in Nazareth. And yet God decides to send his angel Gabriel to show up to a virgin in Nazareth and said, oh, favored one. Now, this word favored does not mean that you're positioned above everybody else. It doesn't mean that. The idea of favor means grace and blessing. In fact, if you were to look up the biblical definition of grace, it would be this, God's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. So it's God's undeserved love. And so when this angel shows up and says, oh, favored one, what he's saying is, oh, loved one, who God is about to bless. God is about to bless you in a way that you would never expect. And we'd all say, no doubt about that one, right? I mean, God loves you. He's going to bless you. And then he says, and the Lord is with you. Now, I was going to pass through this, and then Cameron and I were talking this week, and he made a point that I never thought of. He said, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, every time God told someone, the Lord, or the angel said, the Lord is with you, it was always on the front end of God doing what was incredible in their life. And once again, God said, Mary, I love you. I've got, I'm got my graces upon you, and I'm about to bless your socks off. But I want you to know, what you're about to go through, I'm with you. I'm with you. See, I love that because it's a reminder that anytime God calls us out, anytime God says, I want you to do something, I have big plans for you, I want to bless you, I want to do something that's going to totally interrupt your life, but I'm going to be with you. I'm not asking you to do this thing alone. In fact, isn't that how Jesus ended his last message to his disciples before he left the world? Go and make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you and command you, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so here comes God interrupting the life of Mary with the angel Gabriel, this virgin who has no credentials, there's nothing about her that's any more special than any other Jewish girl. Nothing. And God shows her. and says, hey, Mary, I love you, and I'm going to bless you. And as you walk this journey, just know this. I'm going to be here with you. Now, I wonder sometimes, as we look at this story, I think some of us are at where Mary's at. I think maybe some of us in our life, we're at a place of familiarity. 
I mean, how many of you long for the weekend because Monday through Friday looks exactly the same? You get up, you take a shower, you get ready, you go to school, you go to work. I mean, you've got the same rhythm every stinking week and nothing really new changes. And if you're like Doug, when something new does come in, I don't like interruptions. I don't like it. I like rhythm, right? And I think some of us, if we looked at our lives spiritually, we are in the place of familiarity. But what if God wanted to interrupt your life this Christmas? What if God wanted to interrupt your story this Christmas? What if God wanted to remind you how big his grace is for you? What if God wanted to remind you that he's got plans for you and plans that aren't your plans, but plans that are better than your plans, but in his plans, he's going to bless you and he's going to be with you? What if God wanted to do that? How many of you would be open to that? Don't raise your hand because some of you are like, oh yeah, with both hands and both feet, I'm in. And some of you are going, nope, not me. Pass it on to the next guy, right? Because you like the rhythm of your life. But I'm telling you, familiarity breeds contempt. It does. In the 1300s, the guy that came up with that, he was right. When we become so familiar with something, it can lose its reverence and awe in our life. When we become so familiar with the life that we're living, do we really create room for God to do much in it? Do we yield ourselves to what God would have for us? And so God interrupts the life of Mary. And then the third thing I want you to notice is this, is that not only does he speak, not only does he reveal, but next God, I mean, not only speak or interrupt, but next God reveals. Look at me, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and mighty and he called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. So here's what that Gabriel does. He said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Now that God has spoken to you, now that God has interrupted you, now God reveals what's going to happen. He says, listen, you're going to have a son. Now, this is pre-ultrasounds, in case you didn't know that, right? You're going to have a son. So if you're Mary at that point, on one hand, maybe you're elated that you now know I'm going to have a son, but on the other hand, you might be bothered because I'm still what? What am I? A I'm a virgin, right? So, so I, got, I got questions. But then the angel doesn't stop there. He says, listen, you're going to have a son, and oh, by the way, Mary, it's going to be the son of God. Think about that. No, you're going to have a son, then I'm going to do something miraculous, but the son you're going to have is going to be the son of God. So I'm going to answer Mark Lowry's age-old question, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. Yes, I've ruined it for you. Yes, that she knew. Because she knew that he was going to be, listen, the son of God. In other words, hey, Mary, as a Jewish girl, waiting for the Messiah to come, you're going to give birth to the very one you've been waiting for. How incredible is that? The very one you've been waiting all your life for, your parents are waiting all their life for, your grandparents are waiting all their life for, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now I want us to look at one last thing, and that's Mary's response. God speaks, God interrupts, God reveals, but let's end with Mary's response. Look with me uh, back in verse 29. We're just going to go to verse 29. Here's her first response. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Can we just all say amen to that one? Amen. I mean, come on, ladies. Would you, if you got this message, would you not be troubled by that? 
Sure you would, right? Now, what I find interesting is that she was greatly troubled. That phrase, greatly troubled, means she was perplexed or she was confused. That's what it means. It wasn't that she was upset, angry, agitated, or bothered, but she was perplexed by this. Because is this announcement a common announcement that God often made? <laughs> no, it's a one-time shot deal, right? But what she was most perplexed by wasn't the fact the angel showed up. I find interesting in the story that she wasn't like perplexed because, hey, there's an angel. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was in my bed at night and, and you know, Sonia was out of town, David's in the other room, and an angel appeared up, I might wet the bed. I'm just telling you, I, I would be more than perplexed. I would be like, oh my gosh, what has happened? Anybody else join me in that one? I mean, that would be bothered. But she wasn't perplexed by that. It says she was perplexed by the saying. Well, what was the saying before that? Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. I think Mary understood the weight of knowing God's grace. I think in this moment, Mary understood that she wasn't entitled to the love of God, even though he was going to bestow it on her. And the perplexity of the situation is probably her coming to the place going, God, why me? God, I, why would you choose me? I mean, I'm from Nazareth, God. I mean, why not choose someone from a high-class family in Jerusalem? Why not choose someone over there, God? Why not choose someone who's got parents that are, are maybe in the, in the religious world? Why not choose them? And because we know in the Roman Empire, when you made an announcement, you went out to the city square, and everybody kind of gleaned in, and you made the announcement. Why not do that in Jerusalem? Because if they make this announcement, surely all, God, God why, why me? Not that I don't want to do it, but why would you choose me? I believe when I read this story over and over and over again, Mary understood the weight of God's grace, and she's perplexed by it. Just a question. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with how much God loves you, forgives you, and cares for you, going, God, why, why would you love a sinner like me? Why would you care for someone who rebels against you like me? You ever felt that way? That's Mary. So her first response is that she's greatly troubled. Her second response is found in verse 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, after he says, you're going to have the son, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will, uh, uh, oh, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born, and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. What does Mary do? After she kind of is perplexed by why me, then the angel goes on to tell her, you're going to have a son. And she goes, how's this going to be? I I'm hearing you. But I understand the biology of it, and I'm not sure how this is going to happen. And so he tells her. See, Mary seeks clarity on what God has done for him. Listen, when God moves us, there's nothing wrong with seeking clarity. God, would you give me greater understanding? God, would you give me greater wisdom? Give me greater clarity, God. And she's seeking clarity. And so the angel tells her, says, this is exactly what's going to happen. The power of the Most High God, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to overshadow you, and you're going to, bear, and you're going to give us birth to a son. And then he says something powerful to her. Look what he says. He says that he will be a holy child. That phrase holy in the Greek means more than just set apart. It means saintish. In other words, he's going to give you a child that eventually is going to live a sinless, perfect life. Why is that important for us? Because only a sinless, perfect life was a life that was adequate and sufficient to die on a cross to pay for my sins to pay for your sins. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And listen, 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 listen. He's holy. He's going to be set apart. 
He is the anointed one. He is the one you've been waiting for. He's the one that's going to bring salvation to the world, Mary. He is holy. She would have gotten that. And then he says, and he's the son of God. Now, why does he point that out? Because was there an earthly biological father to Jesus? No. Jesus was, uh, Joseph was the earthly father, but he, there was no biology to it. Mary, on the other hand, is a woman, and so she gave birth to him. So, what, so we learn that because Mary gave birth to him, he's 100% human. But because he's the son of God, what is he? 100% God. Think about what he just told Mary. You're going to give birth to the perfect child who is God in the flesh. Now, if you're a lady in the room, is this like information overload for you? I mean, if you've been married that day, you're like, wait, I got a timeout. I got to have a break here, right? I need to process this. But that's what he says. And Mary's response is just that she's seeking clarity. But because of what he says, look at her last response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. What is she saying? I'm in. I'm in. I don't know why you loved me. I don't know why you chose me. I didn't know how all this was going to happen. But I love you, Lord. And whatever you call me to, I'm in. I'm in. Now, you and I, or at least I would, I would pause and go, okay, what's the ramifications of this? In Jewish culture, she could have been stoned to death. Pregnant. And not Joseph's. She could have been stoned to death. She would have been ostracized by family members. She would have been outcast, marginalized. But anywhere do you see Mary pausing and wondering, okay, how is this going to impact me? Do you ever see that in a story? She just asked for clarity. And her last response is, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm in. So God speaks. God interrupts. God reveals, and then we see how Mary responds. And my question is, do we respond like Mary when God calls us to do something? Or do we have a lot of conditions to our response? See, as we look at the story, there are four takeaways I want you, and maybe you want to write these down. They're not going to be on the screen. But four takeaways I think all of us need to look at the story. Here's the first one. God chose character, not credentials. When God chose Mary, he chose a woman of character, not someone who had all the credentials in the world. She wasn't a daughter of a member of the Sanhedrin. She wasn't a daughter of a wealthy person from Jerusalem. When God chose Mary, he chose a woman of character, not someone who had credentials. And you need to understand this morning, and we need to understand this morning, as God calls us out, he's looking for men and women of character. It doesn't matter what your resume is. It doesn't matter how good and how much you think you've done. What he's looking for is available men and women who love him and are men and women of character. That's what he's looking for. And we look at the story, we see that we also see, second takeaway, is that God inter God's interruptions often lead to God's greatest blessings. You think in hindsight that Mary goes, this is the greatest blessing I will ever have in my life? Come on, do you think so? Come on, come on. You're, you're acting like you're asleep this morning, church. Do you feel like Mary thought that way? That this is the greatest blessing I've ever had in my life? Yes. The greatest blessing ever. But it came with an interruption. I'm just telling you, I believe sometimes God interrupts our lives, but those interruptions can be some of his greatest blessings in our life. Let me remind you of a third thing. Take away. God is still the God of the impossible. 
We said it last week. We talked about it last week with the story of Elijah. And I want us all to be reminded that we serve a God who does the impossible. I know we don't understand it. I know we think it's not potential. It's not possible. But we serve a God that does the impossible. What God did with Mary doesn't make any sense when it comes to science. But did it happen? It did. Last takeaway. Whatever God calls you to, he will get you through. Whatever he calls you to, he will be with you and he will get you through it. Whatever it is. So this morning, as we close, my prayer is that we would let the story of Mary, what we've read this morning, let it inspire us. Let it inspire us about God's love for us. Let it inspire us about who God is and what he's about and how he chooses character over credentials. Let it inspire us to know that when he calls us out, He's going to get us through it, no matter what it is. So here's the question. If God calls you, will you respond like Mary? Will you respond with, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. See, maybe this morning, some of you, God is calling you to let him take up residence in your life. You don't know Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior, and you've been feeling this pull, and you've been feeling this tug, and you now know this morning that maybe what wants to happen is God is calling you to let him in and to take up residence in your life by surrendering your life to him as the Lord and Savior. Are you going to say, yes, I will, or are you going to say, no, I'm not so sure about that? How are you going to respond? Maybe this morning you're here, and you're like, man, you, 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 God is calling you to trust him with your impossible situations. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to trust him, or are you not going to trust him. Maybe God is calling some of you to take a humongous leap of faith. Maybe it's in a career. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's in a relationship. God is calling you to take a huge leap. I don't like leaps. Do you? But the leaps I've taken in my life trusting God have been the greatest blessings in my life. One of those becoming to cross life east. The largest leap I've taken in my life and probably the, one of the greatest blessings in my life to date of my young 49 years. I'm just saying, how are we going to respond? If he's asking you to leap, are you going to leap? If he's asking you to trust him, are you going to trust him? If he's asking you to receive him, will you do that? How the Lord is moving your heart today, would you respond like Mary? I am a servant of the Lord. Let's stand together and pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the time that we've had together, Lord. I thank you for your word. I think as we look at the story of Christmas, we can be reminded of the beauty of the story. God, let what we've read this morning inspire us. Inspire us that you are God that still speaks. You waited 400 years, but you weren't inactive in those 400 years. You were working. And God, the same thing's true for us. God, let us be inspired of how you interrupted Mary's life. You chose a woman of character over credentials. And you interrupted her life, and you bestowed grace upon her. You gave her blessing, Lord, and you promised that you're going to be with her. God, may we be reminded of that, that if we want to be used by you, it's not about building our resume. It's about being a man or woman of character. And then God, Mary's response, I pray it can be like her. I pray that even when things perplex me in life or I'm confused that instead of just doubting it, God, because her question wasn't a, a question of doubt. It was actually a question of faith. 
She was perplexed, Lord, but she sought clarity. And her final response was, I'm in. Yes. And God, I believe this morning, maybe somebody's being called to receive you as Savior. God, I pray that if, they, if you are moving in their heart this morning, that they would simply just acknowledge that they are a sinner. They believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for their sin. And that they would say yes to you. Yes to you coming into the life. And yes to surrendering their life to you. To being their boss and master. God, I pray for those that you're working on that need to say yes to taking a leap of faith. You've called them to it. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. I don't know what it is. But God, you've called them. And will they have the faith to jump and say yes? God, you've called some of us today to trust you with what we view as impossible. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our workplace. Whatever it is, we look at it and say it's an impossibility for this to honor God or to be used by God. And God, you've called us to trust you with that. So Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning and we be faithful to respond to you. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, I don't know what God has put on your heart. I don't know what you need to pray for, but this, this altar is open. If you need people like, hey, I've seen somebody pray with me. Kelly and Jason right over there and Pat and Willie are right over there beyond the curtains. They would love to pull you aside and just pray with you. Like I said, this altar is open. But the question is, however God is calling you this morning, how will you respond like Mary or not? I pray that we will respond according to the way the Lord is leading. So as we worship, make your response to the Lord.